Welcome. Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new episode of my weekly podcast, Writing Through the Pain. This is your host and Winnipeg multidisciplinary artist, Ingrid D. Johnson. Thank you, everyone, for joining me as I discuss, explore, and discover what facing and slowly healing after the trauma of childhood sexual abuse looks like in several areas of life, beginning with my childhood years and into my teens and then slowly into my adult life. Thank you for choosing to go on this healing journey with me as I share pieces of my story from my upcoming book and also interviews with other people that are connected to my story. Would you like to do more to show your support for this podcast? Then please, subscribe, leave a tip in any amount, or become a monthly sponsor by contributing $5 a month or more through our PayPal link. That link is www.paypal.com forward slash paypalme, all one word, forward slash ITC sponsorship. In return, you will receive a quarterly newsletter, a download code to my album Visions and Dreams, and 10% discount off all new In the Closet Productions products and services. Every dollar you contribute will be used to produce inspiring original music, live music shows, speaking engagements, this podcast, and other creative projects that helps to draw awareness to the impact of childhood sexual abuse. Thank you so much for your wonderful support. My story, part 16, Independent Living. It is September 1992, and it is my first night in my first apartment on Cornish and Langside. After unpacking most of my stuff and putting everything away, I spend the evening on my couch covered with a large brown and white fuzzy blanket in my black satin nightgown clutching a big, thick beige stick, afraid of a noise I thought I heard outside my door and down the stairs. A noise that sounded like someone trying to break through one of my three doors into my apartment in the attic. A little while later, feeling very thankful it was only my imagination, confirmed by my guy friend who drove by to check it out for me, I finally fall asleep on my couch, ending the first of many nights living on my own as a teenager. The next day, I realized that there was only a couple months before my 17th birthday. I start to feel a little sad thinking about my prior birthday party at Garfield Street South with all my support workers, foster sisters, and my best friends. Opting for a low-key celebration with a few close friends at Grapes Restaurant on Ellis Avenue that also offered a free mud pie cake for the birthday person, I pick up the phone and make reservations for my 17th birthday and create a few invitations for my close friends. Living alone so young feels sad at times, but it's also exciting despite being an emotionally vulnerable teenage girl with a lot of damage to sort through on the inside. As the months go by, I grow to really enjoy the fact that there's no one to tell me what time to go to bed, to get up for school, to clean up my room, to come home by curfew, no one to stop me from sleeping out or having my friends sleep over. I could even have a boy over in my room, and I could cook whatever I wanted to cook. 
although I desperately needed some cooking lessons because I did not know how to cook a real meal with chicken, steak, fish, or any of those things in an edible way. I only knew the basics. I could make tea, eggs, craft dinners, spaghetti, hot dogs, rice, pizza pops, etc. It was my last year at Sisler High School, and I found myself skipping classes on the regular, sometimes in favor of more sleep, with no one to challenge me. No one, that is, except Mr. David, my dance teacher, who made it his personal business to call my house every week to question my whereabouts whenever I was late for school. The sound of his deep, baritone voice on my physical answering machine had me jumping out of my bed with shock the first time he called me. Miss Johnson, it is 15 minutes after 9 and you are not here. When can we expect your arrival? Because surely you're not missing my class or any more school today. He said firmly with the authority of a loving father reprimanding his disobedient and rebellious child. Mr. David effortlessly commanded respect as a tall, confident black man who was very passionate about the arts and education. There would be no slipping through the cracks with him. He saw me and somehow knew that I needed good adults to look out for me at school. He did this for me without a word, and after high school, I came to really cherish that about him as a person. During high school, I was never the popular girl. But in my last two years in high school, I was not invisible either. I knew people in all the cliques. I was friendly towards everyone, although I did have a few enemies. In fact, one time I was in my cooking class when three girls came to my cooking class asking to speak with me. My cooking teacher was kind of a pushover back then, so she allowed me to speak to them for five minutes in the hall. The three girls were bullies, convinced by some undisclosed source that I was spreading rumors about them. They came to give me a warning and made that crystal clear by locking the door so I could not go back into the classroom until they were done speaking to me. I remember looking at each of them as they spoke their piece with forceful words, thinking to myself, If I wanted to get away from them, I had the whole school to run through. Them blocking the door to my cooking class meant nothing. I was not trapped. I was a runner, and if I needed to run away, there was nothing they could do about it. This thought kept me calm and made their threats seem silly to me. Besides, I wasn't even the one spreading rumors about them. Truth was, I was only guilty of having a huge crush on one of their boyfriends, Derek Norman. He was a very cute white guy with beautiful blue eyes, a gorgeous smile, a stocky build with shoulder-length blonde hair. He was a banger, a guy into rock and heavy metal music, who always wore tight jeans and carried around a hairbrush to brush his shoulder-length blonde hair. He was my former high school best friend's ex-boyfriend's best friend. The first thing, the first time I laid eyes on Derek Norman was in my grade nine math class. He had flunked math the year before and had to repeat grade 9 math in order to graduate from high school. I remember how thankful I was for his misfortune because it made math class a lot more interesting sitting next to him. It made me less willing to skip class because I really wanted to see him, although I really hated math. Sitting next to Derek in a class week, in class week after week gave me the foolish courage one day to write him a letter. It was a bold letter telling him that I really liked him and asking him if he would ever consider taking me out on a date. It was stupid because I knew I wasn't his type. I was not the pretty, popular, white, or Métis girl, but I was a hopeless romantic trying to live my dreams. 
a young skinny black girl with long thin braids big brown eyes a dimple and a warm smile crushing on a white boy with a sweet smile Derek was humble and very kind when he responded personally to my letter he did not embarrass or humiliate me but softly told me that he was back together with his ex-girlfriend Casey so he could not go out with me he was nice unlike his new girlfriend, one of the popular girls in school, that was not stand, that was now standing with two other girls threatening me outside of my cooking class. It's funny how things connect sometimes. I remember crying all morning in the school bathroom after Derek turned me down, but I felt very grateful that he had a reason for turning me down that did not result in me having my spirit crushed. After all, he did not say that I was too ugly, too black, or not popular enough for him which was one of the fears I had when I decided to ask him out in that letter. I was also very happy that he was not a jerk, which kept me crushing on him even after he broke up with Casey and graduated from high school. In the fall of 1993, I was 17, turning 18 in November, newly graduated from high school and still living in my own apartment. I had a few close friends, a few enemies, some guys interested in me, and I was learning how to cook with the help of my late grandmother. However, I was very naive when it came to truly seeing and understanding people. I did not see people clearly. I did not trust my own instincts when it came to discerning unsafe people and unhealthy situations. I had a lot of growing up to do and many things about life to learn. Hard things that would come in many forms because the impact of childhood sexual abuse had crippled me emotionally inside and left me desperate for love. However, despite this, I was doing very well on independent living with the government's financial support, covering my rent, toiletries, groceries, clothing, and utility bills. I was holding down my part-time job at Pizza Hut. In addition to being enrolled in a two-year childcare program at Red River College that Kathy, my ex-therapist, convinced the government to pay for, along with my rent, bills, groceries, and toiletries for the next one or two years. My life was functioning very well, despite the overwhelming sadness and loneliness I always felt. Loneliness that only increased when I found myself alone in between romantic relationships. I hated being single, but somehow I always found myself single, whether I was seeing someone romantically or not, mostly because I always found myself in undefined romantic relationships that always ended with me being used, betrayed, and abandoned by guys I had grown to trust and love. A lot of those relationships began after high school, although Desi was a precursor to the type of romantic relationships I would have as soon as I turned 18 and started going out to the nightclubs. They were romantic relationships that came with confusion and a strong desire for less with no desire for love, although I would deceive myself each and every time into thinking if I gave into lust over time, I would eventually gain unconditional love. A foolish decision that would begin a long cycle of dysfunctional relationships with emotionally unavailable guys. Unloving guys that had no problem stringing me along because they enjoyed the sex I gave them without any commitment in return. These type of relationships made it really hard for me to be content with any good guy that would come into my life wanting to build a real relationship. The few nice guys that treated me well, but who I found myself being unfaithful to eventually because I would get caught up with a guy sexually from my past, a guy that had no desire to be in a loving, committed relationship with me, but who had no problem wasting my time. This would trigger a subconscious belief I had developed deep down inside after being sexually abused all through my childhood and then rejected by my family. 
a belief that I was somehow unlovable, a bad girl unworthy of love and respect that guys would always use and want only for sex. This was a belief system I subconsciously carried around inside me for years, sabotaging any good loving relationship with a decent guy because I did not feel worthy of their love or their respect. A cycle that began after Desi and that continued on when I met Isaac Omega, a handsome half-Nigerian and French guy who saw me once and later sought me out. To be continued. Did you enjoy this recent episode? Then stay tuned for a brand new episode of Writing Through the Pain, My Story Continued, every Wednesday night. Tune in next week, where I will share more of my story dealing with the impact of childhood sexual abuse. Well, as usual, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your colleagues, family members, acquaintances, and friends. After all, you never know who this podcast might speak to, inspire, uplift, inform, or help to break their silence about an incident or incidents of childhood sexual abuse in their lives. To leave a message about an episode of this podcast, or to become a potential guest on the show, please message me at anchor.fm forward slash Ingrid D. Johnson, all one word, forward slash message. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for supporting my mission. Good night and God bless you, my friends.